suicide game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Hello out there and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Morahan, and my brother J.S. to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Today's episode is our 144th podcast. It is the latest addition to our biographical mini-series entitled Bite-Sized Blasts of Notable Men. This is Bioblast number 11. These biographical appetizers, if you will, of the lives of the rich, the poor, the famous, the infamous, the notorious, and the glorious, or perhaps maybe even people like you or me or us. Though the reality is they're probably not like you or me or us. So anyway, we're going to go back today to the fighting Morahans. Whoops, I mean, that's a story for another day. Golf in Ireland at the golf club at Carn with brothers and father. Well, let's get back to the fighting Van Halens, band members David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen. You know, all that fighting between Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth, it takes a toll. You may not see it, but it's like the rust rate of Ohio. The average car in Ohio loses, on the mean, 10 pounds of weight per year per car due to rust. It just eats away the car. And this is what the personal journey of Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth was like. Eddie was far more serious about the music, you know, his musical compositions, more akin to, say, John Lennon than, say, Paul McCartney. McCartney always was satisfied to release records that would sell. And there's, you know, commercial stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. He was a talented musician, a great songwriter of stuff, that would sell to an audience that absolutely loved his work. A very, very large audience indeed, it might be said, and need be recognized. And he didn't appear, Paul McCartney, to be bored with this even after a half century of doing exactly this kind of work either. You know, as Gene Simmons of KISS, if you've got the... as. You know, if you've got the magic potion and it sells to your peeps, well, then why change? McCart- McCartney, Paul McCartney was not writing songs from the soul like Don Henley's, you know, Anthem of an Age, End of Innocence, or Heart of the Matter. He wasn't writing melodious, mysterious ballads like Hotel California or Sociological Studies a la The Last Resort. No, you'd never live to see Paul McCartney writing war protest songs such as, you know, Barry McGuire's Eva Destruction or John Fogarty and CCR's Fortunate Son. He wasn't writing epic tales of metaphors like American Pie as did Don McLean. No, that was never going to be written by Paul McCartney. It just was never going to happen. And there's, there's no doubt, though, that for at least two years at the end of the 60s, the band that created for the 
ecstasy of teenage girls across the planet. I want to hold your hand. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love, love me do. They made a vast sea change before they imploded when they released songs like Obli-D, Oblida, Rocky Raccoon, Strawberry Fields, um, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, and Yellow Submarine. But then, but then post-Beatles, Paul reverted back to what Paul McCartney had always been and what he did best. He wrote pop songs. He wrote pop songs that would sell. And he wouldn't be releasing you know, Dylan-esque works. You know, what McCartney released post-Beatles was stuff like Band on the Run and Maybe I'm Amazed. There's nothing inherently wrong with this. These songs charted, made McCartney millions of dollars, and will be part of the story as to how he became one of the immortals. Of that, there is no doubt. He was the modern pop version of Mozart, Chopin, Beethoven, Franz Liszt. Aficionados of classical music will cringe, but it's true. McCartney will rank up there. And the musical compositions that McCartney composed, they weren't complicated. His songs weren't compositionally as difficult as like Jimmy Page's Stairway to Heaven levels of difficulty. They were not. Paul McCartney had always been Paul McCartney. He was true to himself. And in 1969, Lennon wanted more serious stuff. He wanted to do more serious music. And he was bored and he grew angry. And, and he had been willing to let McCartney chart the Beatles' path for years until Lennon could do no more. He couldn't take it anymore. And then the Beatles were no more. And, that, you know, and that's one way to initiate real change. You just leave. In a similar vein... A truly, a truly arrogant but lyrical, poetic genius. That was Bob Dylan. He once commented on the simplicity of Rolling Stones songs. And he informed the true musical genius that was, in his own right, was Keith Richards. And he told Richards that I could have written Satisfaction. I could have written Get Off My Cloud or Paint It Black. I could have, but I, but I realized I didn't. But, this is what he emphasized to Richards, who would agree, by the way, that even if they had wanted to, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger never in a million lifetimes could ever possibly have written like a Rolling Stone, Mr. Tambourine Man, or Desolation Row. And, and of this, there is no doubt. Now, Eddie Van Halen, you know, back to Eddie Van Halen, he hadn't cared about the lyrics to his songs or the compositions really either. Pro provided he could perform his amazing guitar solos, he was cool with allowing David Lee Roth to guide Van Halen. Eddie, Eddie had plenty of personal demons that were occupying a time with, you know, which, with which he was in ferocious combat. You know, a virus, a parasite, you know, like any or all living organisms will fight like hell to stay alive. You know, a dog is 25 million times the size of the rabies virus, but the virus wins out every time in the end, 100% fatal. And for Eddie Van Halen, old habits die hard. So the disputes with, with David Lee Roth given his alcohol and drug problems, problems were simply more trouble than they were worth. He was going to forget about it, not deal with it. 
Eddie simply conceded the captain's chair to David Lee Roth, and he went along for the ride. But by 1983, after nearly a decade together, Eddie was frustrated with David Lee Roth. And the process, uh, you know, it was bothering him. Access to studio time, musical productions, they were all in question. There were so many things that were bothering Eddie Van Halen about working with David Lee Roth. So his solution? He had the finances, so why not? He designed and he had constructed a state-of-the-art recording facility in his home with the band's longtime trusted recording engineer, Don Landy, coming on board with him. Now Eddie might, could, and did play all day and all night long, whenever he wished, playing whatever he wished. Given that it was his studio in his house, <laughs> as you might expect, Eddie began to dominate the recording process. David Lee Roth was benched, ordered to sit in a dunce's chair, sent to the sidelines, so to speak. And Eddie began experimenting with sound, you know, assaying the power, the range, the scope of the keyboards, sampling synthesizers, while Roth was adamantly wedded, committed to the sound that he knew worked, was always reliable, and was still viable. Why change, Eddie? Why change? This was Roth's position. Field-tested, guitar-heavy, hard rock worked. And Roth wasn't yielding his turf without a fight. And besides, David Lee Roth, he was a rock star. And he was working on releasing his own stuff. Was he thinking of leaving Van Halen to go, you know, go it alone as a solo act? I mean, David Lee Roth and the Jordanaires sort of thing. Was he competing for the Van Halen brand for market share? What was David Lee Roth up to? Was he being disloyal? Was he betraying Van Halen? What was he doing? And then he got movie offers. Well, apparently David Lee Roth had options way, way beyond Van Halen. You know, the who's who thing again rose its ugly head. And, and finally, sufficiently fed up with David Lee Roth, Eddie had had enough, finally. And the name of the band, remember, was Van Halen. He wasn't having it anymore. No more. Nope. The band fired David Lee Roth. They'd go without him. Now, Van Halen had no vocalist, but well, they, they'd resolve that problem later. In the meantime, there'd be no more fighting, no more nonsense from the man with the monstrous ego. What do you mean there'd be no more guitar solos? David Lee Roth was history. He was sidelined, gone. Now, Eddie wanted to make more serious, darker, deeper tunes, more melancholy songs in minor keys. Obviously, this was far more simpatico um, with where <laughs> Eddie was in his life, far more in line with the depressing nature of, of Eddie's everyday existence, you know, worsened evermore by ever-increasing dependencies on alcohol and cocaine and smoking multiple packs of cigarettes from the time he woke up to the time he went to bed. Ultimately, they replaced, Van Halen did, Sammy, you know, uh, David Lee Roth was Sammy Hager. And he was brought in as a lead vocalist and primary lyricist. And over his long stint with Van Halen, 
There's no doubt that Sammy Hager, as a songwriter, proved that he was no Bob Dylan, but then he wasn't David Lee Roth either. Hager got the job done, and there was less angst between Hager and Eddie than there had been between Eddie and David Lee Roth, at least for nearly a decade. But then, as with, as with most things Van Halen, dynamite ultimately explodes. Bye-bye, Hager. And, and then when you look back at the creative force that was Eddie Van Halen, one is simply stunned by just how little work product was then produced by the legend, this talented legend over the next two decades that preceded his death. Eddie Van Halen produced exactly one album. That's it, one. A dumpster fire of health and drug and personal problems dogged him till the end of his life. And his, his tongue cancer that cost him one-third of his tongue and death ultimately from cancer he'd never admit were caused by or exacerbated by, you know, his triangulation of deadly habits like heavy smoking, monstrous amounts of dope smoking, cocaine abuse, hard alcohol, a lifetime of dependencies. Actually, it's a miracle that Eddie Van Halen lived as long as he did. And he blamed his tongue cancer and the cancer that ultimately killed him on his metal guitar pick that he placed in his mouth when he resorted to his extraordinary um, two-hand tapping method of playing his electric guitars for, for which he was to prove so famous. As for this poisonous pick theory, no one actually believed this nonsense, probably not even Eddie. All one can say is that he remained in denial, as most addicts do, right to the very end. And, and people who, who, they are who they are. And as they get older, they only become more of who they always were. Eddie was a rock star. Eddie was a talented, talented guitarist. But always people around him, like that gopher on the United Airlines flight that I was on with him, who do anything to stay in Eddie's orbit, provided him with anything, not only that he wanted, that he said he needed, but that he obscenely desired. He wasn't a fully functioning human being, protected by his loyal crew. Eddie was never responsible for anything. He was a spoiled child. He was Peter Pan. He was like Prince or Elvis or Michael Jackson. He never did have to grow up. Of his talent, there is no doubt. But one can't survive on talent alone. And when one lives within the chaos, the chaos will win out in the end. And the end was truly chaotic. And that also is not in doubt. And this is where we'll end the story today and take up the conclusion of the story that involves Eddie Van Halen, who was really in a far off place. I am in a far off place. And I mean far out. Half a world away. Another planet. And there's so much to do, and there's so, so much, much to see. Drugs, booze. Had her way 
There are mountains and valleys and beautiful hills Each vista is something new And though my imagination has been captured My thoughts, they return to you Oh, the sights I've seen So can you help relieve me Of this burden in on my back David Lee Roth there's something wrong deep inside of me Or something I must lack Self-control Or I've got this worry you'll be leaving me And why and would I it change? admit it that I'm scared so I'm terrified So you try to convince 